Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Let's, let's go to the Word of God because we know something that everybody doesn't know. We see something that everybody can't see. And I want to approach this message today as we talk about the resurrection from three angles. And hopefully they'll be evident as we go into the Word. First scripture is found in Luke 24, and we'll be in Luke for the most part, but we're going to get an Old Testament witness also. Luke 24 and 31, Luke 24 and 31, and it reads, and then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from sight. Then their eyes were opened. Who were they? Whose eyes were open? It's the disciples who had been with him for three years, who he poured into, but they could not know him until their eyes are open. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden to those who the God, little g, of this world has blinded. He put a veil before their eyes. And what was the then moment? What occasion caused their eyes to be open? He had risen, He had been on the road to Emmaus with them, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but now they're in a house. They asked him, after going down the road of Emmaus, they said, stay with us, stay with us, because their hearts were broken. They were sad. The hope of Israel was gone. He had died and three days had passed. They were despondent. They were without hope. And they talked to someone who encouraged them. They didn't know who it was. But while they were breaking bread, and that's why it's good to break bread, I pray that in every LCT get-together, somebody's eyes would be open. I pray that every time we break bread, whether it's in a restaurant or around the table in our home, that when we bless it, somebody's eyes would be open. There's something about the breaking of bread in his presence that causes their eyes to be open. And the scripture says, and they knew him. They heard from him daily for three years, but they knew him in that moment because seeing their eyes, their spiritual eyes, and the text is clear, he went out of their sight. The, the, the Luke wanted you to know this has nothing to do with natural sight. When their eyes were open, they knew him and then he vanished. Seeing him has nothing to do with your retina, your retina or your cornea. It has to do with God revealing him to you. And when we seek him, what is the promise? 
we will find him. I pray today that somebody's eyes would be open. I pray that somebody on the live stream, your eyes would be open and you'll know him. I pray that somebody in this room who've heard about him, today your eyes will be open and you will know him. Because it's in that encounter that things change and their sadness went away. Their sorrow went away. The things that had them down caused their hearts to burn. Let's get an Old Testament witness, Job. Job 19, I'm going to read verses 25 through 27. As you're going to it, we'll put it on the screen, but there is consensus among scholars that the first book that Moses wrote was not Genesis, it was Job. It's the oldest book in the Bible because it was written first. While Moses was on the backside of the mountain, God was talking to him, preparing him. Some of you are on the backside of the mountain. God is preparing you for something. I know you feel like you're standing still, but God's got something greater. He's preparing you. He started Moses on the backside of the mountain before he was released as the deliverer. Sometimes God's got to take us to places that we are confused about. It feels like we're stuck, but he has a purpose. He has a purpose. And this book was written on the backside of the mountain. What's coming out of the backside of your mountain? It reads, for I know that my Redeemer lives. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. Job had no scripture. There was no such thing as scripture at that time. Paul and Peter, and, and all of them and Timothy, they had the Old Testament. They had scripture. How did Job know this if there was no word that was written? How did he know this? The same way those who were walking with him and heard him and didn't know him until he opened their eyes. Job was in such despair and such trouble, God opened his eyes so that he would no longer be hopeless. Job was facing death. His flesh was falling off. It was clear to Job that his days were numbered. And in the midst of that, in this 19th chapter, right in about the middle of the book, God opens his eyes and shows him something. I want to speak to someone who's in a place that you feel like it's about to be over. God, open their eyes. Let them know that you've got a future for them. That your future is everlasting. There is no end. You're the God from everlasting to everlasting. And listen to what Job says. And after my skin is destroyed. He's like, the day is coming where I'm going to be in the grave, but I got hope beyond that. This I know. Because he knows his Redeemer lives, he says, this I know, that in my flesh 
I shall see God. I don't want you to miss this. In one breath, he's saying, my, my skin is going to be destroyed, but he knows I'm going to have a new body. I'm going to have a new body because in my, in my flesh, in my body, I'm going to see him. That's hope. Nobody can take that hope away from you. That's the hope of the resurrection. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him and not another. I want you to hear this. Oh, how my heart, how my heart yearns within me. His trouble didn't change. His disease, his infirmity didn't go away. He was still in the same condition, but when he thought about his future, with his Redeemer, his heart began to yearn. There's something about knowing your Redeemer lives that causes your heart to yearn in any situation. It doesn't matter what you're going through. When you think about that, somebody said it this way, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out. The deepest part of my being cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. Job was saying, Job had a revelation of the resurrection. He had never read a Bible. There was no Bible to read. God let him know, stop wallowing in your pity. You can get up. I got you. I got your future in my hand and I've got you forever. You don't have to worry about what the devil is doing. You don't have to worry about what anybody is doing. I've got you and I got the power to uphold you. I got the power to see you. That's why Jesus said, don't fear man who can only kill your body and after that they can do nothing, they can do no more. Fear God who can kill both body and soul in hell. In hell. The one who talked about hell more than anybody in all scripture was Jesus. And he did it because he loved People. He died for people. He wants to keep people from hell. People think mm, it's offensive to talk about it. It's an offense to God not to talk about it because the people he loves, the ones he died for, the ones he got up to give new life are going to hell and you are keeping silent? That's an offense to God. But I'm encouraged when I see that God allows people to see things afar off. Job saw it afar off. Those who are right there with him, he's walking with him, he's eating with him, they don't even know him. It's not that they didn't know him by sight because they were with him for three years. They were mourning his death. But the Jesus who went in the grave was not the same Jesus who got up. He put on sinful flesh, but when he conquered death and the grave, there was some glory that was on him that if you don't, if you can't recognize the glory, you'll miss it. He got up with all authority. He laid down one way, he got up another way. Somebody say he got up. He got up with all power in his hands and they 
though they knew him by sight, they now knew him in a different way. When the Bible talks about knowing someone, it communicates intimacy. And he knew his wife. It says, and they knew him. It's a level of intimacy that you can't have casually. You can't have that just by coming to church. You can't have that just by reading a devotional. You, you need something that only God can give that allows you to see him and then you can say, I know him. I know my redeemer lives. I know my redeemer lives. And once you know that, there's some other things you'll know. He said, I know I'm going to see him myself. See, that's personal accountability. I'm going to see him and not another. Do you know there are two judgment seats? This wasn't a part of the plan, but I sense in the spirit of God. There is the first judgment, and then there's the second judgment. Am I right? Is anybody? Is there a witness in here? Somebody say two judgments. The first judgment is for people like us. Peter makes it clear. He said, judgment begins where? In the house of God. And if it begins with us, where shall the sinner and the ungodly be? I want to clarify that. So the first is what is called the Bema seat of Christ. It's his throne where believers stand to receive their reward. Our judgment is not about heaven and hell. Heaven is settled. It's just, are you going to go on with a crown with no jewels on it? Because your works were burnt, were tried by fire and nothing, it was, it all, it was woods, hay and stubble. It's burnt up. And then your neighbor comes with a glorious diadem <laughs> because their work was tried by fire and it came out as pure gold. Don't always look to jump out of the fire. That's why Job, the same Job who suffered, who suffered, says, I know something else because he lives. He said, though he slay me, come on, somebody, somebody finish that. Yet I will, I'm not going to stop trusting him. I'm not going to get angry with him because of stuff that's happened. Yet will I trust him. And he said, I know this, that when he has tried me, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Gold is only purified one way. Not in water, but in fire. But in fire. And in that day, the people of God, our works are going to be tried by fire. And Paul makes it clear. And your works will stand if they can go through the fire. That's why I've got to be willing to go through the fire. So that when I stand before him, as Job said, me, myself, I'm accountable. I want to be able to come out with a great reward. You know, there are people who have job interviews and there are lots of people. And you're sitting there and somebody comes out and they're smiling. And you're, you're like, man, they must have got the job. <laughs> this doesn't look good. They come out looking too happy. 
I want to leave from before him so happy that people say something good just happened. Something good. Now that's the first. Somebody say with me the first judgment. The second judgment. The second judgment, which goes along with the second death. We've been redeemed from the first death because we're in him. We're not even eligible. We're not on that line. But the second judgment is the one that in Thessalonians, it says that the wrath of God will come on the children of disobedience. And what I love about that text in Thessalonians, Paul says, but you have not been appointed to wrath. What that means is you're not going to be a part of the second judgment. You have not, if you're in him, if you can say, I know my redeemer lives, you don't have to worry about that. You just need to prepare yourself for the first judgment to make certain that your crown is filled with the rewards that you receive. Because guess what? Everyone who dies in the Lord, their works do follow them. Those that die in the Lord, their works do follow them. I don't want wood, hay, and stubble following me. I want that which has been tried and that which has been purified. I believe God is preparing his people. Part of the purpose for this pandemic is to get us out of the soft gospel. That everybody's blessed, everything is good. It confuses people when they suffer, when they hear people like me telling you everything is all right all the time. We grow. Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Suffering has a purpose. It's not just to bring pain, it's to bring me and you to another place. Lord, lift us up where we belong. There's something about the tomb. Can you put the picture of the tomb up? I got to get moving. They got the clock here. And they're really good. They put it in red. And red traumatizes me. When I was a child and I got a grade in red and I had to go home to my parents, Lord Jesus, don't let that come back to me. <laughs> That's a signal. Change the color. I'm traumatized by red. <laughs> so, you, you have a picture of the women going to the tomb. And then later, Peter and John. And John, in his gospel, writes, and that other disciple ran. He ran faster. John was fast. Peter was slow. He was probably talking while he was running. He's distracted because he's talking. And John gets there, and they don't believe. The stone is rolled away. The Romans said, I need you to put a stone that cannot be moved. And they put the guards there to watch it, round the clock. And they're sitting there, and then something happens. Bright, the brightness, the glory of heaven. And they were as dead men. And when the women came, the angels, and we're going to read that in a moment, said, why are you seeking the living among the dead? God is saying to some of you and some of you, 
It's time to stop seeking the living among the dead. And the dead I'm talking about is those who are separated from God. There's no life there. There might be pleasure there. There might be fun there, but there's no life there. The life is in him. And so the angel said, he's not here. He's risen. And then you go in, you see the evidence that he was there and he's gone. New life. I want to talk a minute about new life and how God communicated it. They couldn't see it, but we're going to see it. Say with me, today I see. Luke 24 verses 5 through 8. And this is the, the posture of the disciples. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, who do you seek? I mean, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? Saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. The third day. And they remembered his words. Sometimes we have to be reminded when we're afraid, when we're in a place where we are despondent. We need to be reminded of his word so we can remember his word. And although Jesus told them, there are several accounts of him telling them what happened, their worldview was that the Messiah is going to be a conquering king. And a conquering king he was. But they were thinking about him taking Israel out of the claws of Jerusalem. And that was the extent of their theology. They were looking for him. There are Jews today who still don't believe because that didn't happen. That could not have been the Messiah. There are some, like Job, who see afar off the things of God. There are some who are blinded when it's right in front of them. It's right in front of them and they can't see it because it has nothing to do with 2020. It has to do with God revealing it to us. And so, the third day, what is it about the third day? And do you know the day that they were sad and he broke bread with them? It was the third day after he died. And Jesus was clear about the third day. I believe that the Lord was trying to communicate to them what was written in the word. He's like, surely they're going to get this because they know the word. The prophet Amos, no, the prophet Hosea talks about the third day. For those of you who are taking notes, I don't want you to go there. I just want you to write it in your notes and you can look later. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. He talks about the resurrection and the future. What Jesus was telling them were not just words out of his mouth, because he is the word of God. It was a reference in the word. But the first 
indication and you've got to be able to have spiritual eyes to see it. In the book of Genesis, on the third day, in the first chapter, and you just put this in your notes. We're not going to put it on the screen. This is for notes. Genesis 11 through 13. On the third day was in the earth brand new life. That's when the trees and the fruit, and that's why Jesus is called the first fruit from the dead. It's going back to God's design. Before he created Adam and Eve, God already had a plan for new life. You just have to see it. So that day, life sprung forth from the ground. That's why Jesus had to go in the grave. Because life, new life came forth from the ground. I know I should stay up here. I want to walk around. I feel like walking around heaven for a minute. But they couldn't see that. Life, I'm going to stay back far from you. Is this far enough? That life was springing forth from the ground. The first fruit from the dead. And then there was a second third day in creation. The second third day was the sixth day when Adam and Eve were created and they were created from the ground. God took the material in the ground and he formed Adam and he breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul but they couldn't see it because they read the scripture but they didn't understand it. They heard Jesus but they didn't understand him. He was telling them what was going to happen but because of what was in their mind they couldn't see it. Sometimes our mind can block revelation because we say this is the way it is and this is the way it should be and this is the way it has been so this is the way it must be and God is trying to tell them who he is, but it didn't happen until he broke bread and then, and he opened their eyes and then they knew him. God, I pray that somebody's going to know you in a more intimate way today. I pray that those who continue to seek the living among the dead, they mean well because it feels good. It even feels right. But God, would you show us the right way? May we know you today. May we have intimacy. We had a person speak today to the men, and he said something that caught me. And this is true of all of us, but especially men, that we replace intimacy with intensity. And so we go after things hard, and it makes it feel right to us, but nothing can replace intimacy. He wants a relationship with us so that he knows everything about us. He wants us to be so intimate that there's nothing that we hide from him. The day that Adam sinned, the first thing he did was hide, hide. It was a powerful testimony when someone says, I have nothing 
Finish that. To hide. You don't have to hide anything from him. It doesn't make sense to hide from him because everything is naked and open before him to whom we have to do. We don't have to hide. You might have to hide from your neighbor. You might have to hide some stuff from your friend. There's some things you need to say, I must tell Jesus and I'll tell him alone because people will mock you when, you're not, when you don't need to be mocked. I'm not talking about say, spraying everything. I'm talking about intimacy with him because when I have intimacy with him, I have better intimacy with my wife and with my children and with the church and with everybody. Life is better when we do life with him. Life is better with him. So much better. The third day, there was a day when Jesus was challenged by his contemporaries. And they said, if you're the son of God, show us a sign. If you're the Messiah, show us the sign. He said, I will give you no sign. Your wicked and perverse generation will not get a sign except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And they were religious and they were uptight. They wore long robes, but they didn't know it was about the third day because Jonah was in the belly until the third day. God has been speaking through all creation about who he is. Let's go a little bit further. Our last verses here, Luke 24, verses 44 and 49. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. He's telling them again, you've heard this before, but I'm patient. I'll tell you again that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might do what? Comprehend the scriptures. It's important that we comprehend the scriptures to know what they're saying. You can read the same verse a thousand times and God can speak 2,000 things to you. That's why reading the word, it's, it is it's vexing to the spirit of God when people say the Bible is outdated. I don't use the Bible as my authority, the authority in my life, because it's out of step. Whenever you hear that, that's a sign that the world has swallowed them up. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life has consumed them because they believe the report of the world more than the word of God. I want you to know that the word of God is everlasting and every word shall come to pass. Not jot, one jot or one tittle shall fail. It is going to come to pass and it's for all time. Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. It never gets old. It's always new, new life sprung up from the grave. He's got new life right now for anybody who needs it. New life. Somebody say new life. 
Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to write. It was necessary, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. Jesus talks about the necessity of suffering for the purpose of God to be fulfilled. I wonder how my attitude would change in suffering if I knew it was necessary for God's purpose. But my mindset and your mindset in times of suffering is that this is something that is against me. God, what have I done? Some of you, if you're really holy, you say, Lord, what have I done to deserve this? Why me? Job is a man who God himself testified of his righteousness, and Job couldn't figure it out. His friends couldn't figure it out. Their theology was, you must have done wrong in order for this to happen. Has anybody in this room ever encountered miserable comforters? Like, you're in a bad place, and by the time they leave, you're worse because they make you feel worse. They're putting you, you deserve everything you're getting. It's because of your behavior. You remember when you used to do this? You were wild. You were out there. And because of that, this is coming. You know you reap what you sow. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you, that you shall also reap. Jesus didn't do anything to deserve it. He was approved of God. He did it to benefit you and me. And here is the travesty. He went through everything he went through and he conquered death and the grave. And the majority of people, the nearly eight billion people who are alive, refuse, reject his life. Reject it because there are other things that have entered into their thinking and that compete with the truth and they believe a lie more than the truth. God, I pray today that someone will be set free by the truth. He said it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. When? The third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. There's a purpose. He, ri he rises the third day, and then after that, the people he's talking to, you have a purpose in this. And your purpose is for repentance and remission of sins to be preached in his name in all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Just a few more things. First of all, there was a purpose that they missed. So Jesus had to tell them again. The good news is, if, if you or I miss our purpose, there's evidence. He'll come and tell us again. He'll tell us what he already told us that we didn't get the first time because we're distracted by pain or we're distracted by loss or we're distracted by disappointment just as they are. That's human. But he said, I need to tell you this. And he's like, he, 
put almost the whole testament is about Jesus. He said everything that's written in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms are about me. I can see him in the Song of Solomon. He's the beloved in the Song of Solomon. I see him in Ecclesiastes. He's the one who makes sense out of life that vexes the preacher. He is everywhere. And even though they heard it, they read it, they didn't get it because it wasn't their time. I want to say to somebody, your time has come. Your time has come. There was a time, there was a time when God winked at ignorance. But in these last days, the Bible says he's calling all to repentance. Repentance is not this super spiritual, mystic, hard thing. It is just to turn, to turn from the world and turn to God. It is the will of God that you turn to him. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.